It's no huge secret by now, you know that I am kind of a, a nerd when it comes to comic books and stuff. I mean, if you've been with us this entire series of Mythical Gods, it's okay if you haven't, but the first week I had a big poster of Superman up here. You nerds out there, it was the first ever appearance of Superman, 1938 or something like that. I'm a fan of comic books, and you know, some of them are kind of goofy. Part, part of it is, with a comic book, it's a lot of pictures and few words, and I think that's the kind of book that I can embrace. Anybody with me? Come on. Uh, but I, 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 there's one particular character that I've always been a bit fascinated with, and I think they did a movie of this character a few years ago. I don't think it was very good. But uh, maybe you've heard of this guy, Judge Dredd. Anybody ever heard of that guy? So, and I'm not really sure what's with the shoulder pads on this photo. I'm not sure if that's, you know, I don't know what that's all about. But Judge Dredd is this character that supposedly he's like this justice guy in the future. There's like this dystopian big city and, you know, future America. And, and this guy kind of acts like a one-man judge, jury, executioner, all in one. So he has the uh, ability to just kind of walk around and when he sees someone out of line, he can kind of arrest them, accuse them, sentence them, and sometimes execute them right on the spot. Kind of a scary sort of deal there. And so you hope that he's like doing the right kind of judging? I don't know. But I have to admit, there have been times in my life, and, and maybe, maybe your life too, where somehow this idea gets kind of ingrained with our view of God. Where, where sometimes people will think about God, and maybe you've seen this on social media or on Reddit or something like that, where sort of the opinion out there of God being this judgmental, you, you get out of line, he's just going to come down hard on you. He's going to beat you up. He's, he's up there just, to, just ready to pounce on you. And some people grow up with this view of God. And, and, and the question is, 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 is that really God? Is, is he this judge up there just waiting? The minute you have a smile on your face, he's going to get you. Or you, you step out of line. See, some people grow up in different uh, church backgrounds, and, and, and sometimes I think this idea of God just being angry all the time, I don't know where it comes from, but the case I'm going to make today, it doesn't come from the Bible. That's not the God we meet in Scripture. This angry judge that just wants to, he was like this, he, this cosmic killjoy on anything that's fun. He just wants to stomp it out. And that is not the God we find in Scripture. And see, I think sometimes people take this judgmental view of God, which is a false view. It's mythical. It's not real. But sometimes people take this false view, and they might have learned it as a kid, and then as we grow and become adults, this sort of, sits in the back of our mind. Like, and and not, not only that God's just going to judge us, but maybe it starts to lead to something else. That maybe I'm not good enough for God to love. Maybe I don't have things right enough in my life for God to love. You see, it starts to get even more twisted, doesn't it? It goes from judging to maybe I'm not good enough to have any kind of blessing in my life. And maybe some of you have been at moments like that in your life, but I'm telling you, Today, I'm going to try to do my best to make the case this is not the God we meet in Scripture. And we got to stop believing in this. In fact, I think this view of God, and you can, now maybe I'm wrong, but this view of God being an angry judge, that's pretty pervasive. That I think this is one of the big hang-ups. I think this is one of the reasons people leave church. 
They leave religion. They leave faith behind because this is the God they think that is presented in Scripture. And I'm telling you, it's not God. That is not God. So that's the case I'm making today. Uh, I'm glad you're here with us. I'm Pastor Ben. Glad you're, you've joined us today, either in person or online. We see you. Hello. We gather like this, like Christ followers all over the globe. Yep, we're one big dysfunctional family of faith all over the globe. Why do we meet on Sundays? Because that was the day. That was the day, folks, that changed human history. A couple thousand years ago, that grave was empty. And people have been reeling from that reality ever since. And we're in this room to lift up the name of Jesus because that tomb was empty. So would you pray with me? And then we'll get into our, 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 our idea today of God ain't this judge dread God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness, your mercies. This is who you are. Father, help us to lean into to who you really are and, and help people in our lives stop believing these false views of who you are so they can really see who you truly are a God of so much love and compassion. So, Father, we lean in to your word, to the scripture. Speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And may we leave this gathering not the same. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in the scriptures, we've been saying this all along. You open up the first few pages. What do, we, what do we find? God existing and doing good stuff. We see him creating. We see him designing the way the planets all work. And if you think about it, we're sitting on a globe spinning in space some 17,000 miles an hour. I don't even know what the crazy number is. And somehow it all works. Somehow we're close enough to the sun, and you know there's a big orbit going on. Somehow we don't drift too far that we freeze to death. And somehow we don't get too close that we all burn up. God designed all this, and so we see this in the beginning of Scripture. God exists, and he's creating things. And he starts creating a bunch of stuff, and I'm really paraphrasing here, but he finally gets to creating humanity. And all along, he's been saying, it's good. I'm creating this light and dark. It's good. I'm, you know, he, he all these good things, but when he gets to humanity, what does he say? Very good. And the scriptures say that we're created in his image. And so, male, female, we're, we're created in his image. We have the stamp of God on us. And we'll see why that plays out as we get into today, today's message. But we're created, and God said it's very good. And then what you find is God interacting with humanity. We see him walking in the garden. I can't imagine what that was like. But you see humanity interacting. And, and, and we get this picture of God wanting to be in a relationship with us. Make no mistake, he doesn't need us. He wants to hang out with us. That's a huge difference. He wants to be in a relationship with you and me. And so we see this happening. And then God does say, okay, here, here we are in the garden. Here's some parameters. Uh, let's, let's, let's be about the good, right? You're, you humans are partnering with me on this good cre cre creation that I made. And then a tempter comes. And we get this interesting interaction with, Scripture calls this a serpent it's a very interesting interaction where the servant's talking and reasoning with our first ancestors and they have this conversation and Adam and Eve decide, you know what, we're going we're gonna to make a different decision. We're going to do this on our own. God, you're great, walking with you is great, but we've got to make a decision on our own. They decide and of course that changes the relationship between God and humanity. And then scripture unfolds and this whole sort of this this tension of God being good and humanity deciding we want to go our own way. And so you see this cycle happen in especially the Old Testament part of Scripture. But we see God loving humanity. 
See, when that, that whole moment happened with the serpent and everything in the, the Genesis chapter 3, it's an odd sort of story, I have to admit. It's some crazy things. I have questions. But when God found out that Adam and Eve had sinned, did he kill them right away? Bam, stamped out. Judge Dread God. Did he, did he say, well, I'm kicking you out and I really don't love you anymore? Did he say that? No. Did he shame them? He just pointed out, you know, I've asked you to partner with me. And you decided to go another way. Still loves them. Now, you have kids or grandkids. And they can do lots of goofy things. But you know what? You still love them. And there's no different with God. He still loved his creation. He still calls it good. Now, things went sideways after that whole fall thing, as you probably well know, but he didn't pull back his love. And what we see is God trying to do good in the world and wants us humans to partner with him, and sometimes we do. And in the scripture, in the Old Testament part, sometimes you find an Abraham who said, sure, I'll do what you... And sometimes you find a Moses. Other times you have a Pharaoh who doesn't want to do and partner with what God wants to do. And this is happens over and over. When God partners with us, he wants to be about the good. But even when we screw up, he still loves us. And that starts to not sound like this guy at all. Now hang with me. In Ecclesiastes 3, and you've probably heard this passage, if you've ever been to a funeral, people always want me as the preacher guy, if I'm doing a funeral or something like that, they always want me to read part of this generally. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, you just open your Bible to it, you'll see exactly what I mean. But here's something that comes out of that. In verse 17, it says this. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. So, God has this, uh, this, 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 this role that he plays, in a sense, to, to bring righteousness and justice. But there's a timing in it. And here's why that matters. Sometimes people think of God as this angry judge that just want to come down and he's got no patience with us. He just wants to smite us. I don't even know what that word means. It's like a Bible word. Smite. He wants to smite us. The thing is, the scriptures also tell us that God is slow to become angry. And I'll prove that to you, I think. So, if you're familiar with a little bit of the old sort of the Old Testament story. Old Testament is such a bad term. Old covenant, first covenant, whatever you want to call it, it's all important, okay, cover to cover. Sometimes people focus on the New Testament a little bit too much. It's all an integrated. You know that most of the sermons in the New Testament are directly out of the Old Testament Torah, but I, I digress. Side note, back on. Okay, Abraham. You remember the guy Abraham? Abraham was one of those first big partners, if you will, uh, of God. And, and God kind of reaches out, and I don't know that Abraham knows much about who Yahweh God is, but God reaches out and says, hey, I, I want to I partner with you. We're going to go to this area of the Middle East we know now as Canaan and Palestine. We're going to go there. Now, you can't live there yet, or you, this is not going to be yours yet, but your kiddos, one day, we're going to have a little country here. We're going to have a little uh, nation. Doesn't tell them what the nation's called. We don't get a lot of that. Abraham doesn't get a lot of details, but he says, and I'm going to, my plan is, if you'll work with me, we're going to bless the whole planet together. We're going to do this thing. Abraham, your, your people are going to be a blessing to everybody. 
So that sounds pretty good. And he says, here's the land that one day your descendants will, will have. Okay, so then things move forward. God tells Abraham, again, this is going to be where, where your people are going to be. It's going to be a great thing. Uh, the, the land that God was going to give them was Canaan. Now, it wasn't empty of people. There were people there, which is kind of where we're going with this. There were people there, and obviously you can't have, you know, if, if there's people there, then it's not just a wide open country where the, the new nation is going to pop up. There's, there's people there. So that's an issue. Um, and what happens next is that God begins to, to, to partner with Abraham, and then there's, his family starts having kiddos, and, which was kind of a miracle that Abraham and Sarah had. So that should have been a clue to, to Abraham. This, this Yahweh God is, is, is a little different than I've ever dealt with anybody. And so they're having children. They start having more children and more children. And eventually, uh, this, this family line, and if you know the story of, of kind of how the Old Testament plays out, this family then it becomes a big family. It becomes a couple million people by certain accounts. And, and this people happens to be now in the land of Egypt. And the Egyptians there say, you know what? This would make a great slave labor group. And so the whole nation, uh, they just kind of pick the whole race and say, you're going to be doing, doing slave labor. And that's how we're going to deal with that. And then if you remember, there was another partner of God that comes around this time, a guy named Moses. And... God reaches out, and just like Abraham said, yeah, I'll partner with you. Moses says, yeah, I'll, I'll partner with you, God. I'll do that. And so now, God uses Moses to, to help get the people out of slavery, and those are going to be the people that were going to start the nation of Israel. You see, the Egyptians had put them under slavery, and they were, they were, they were taskmasters. And the, the, the sin of Egypt had gotten to a certain point. Where, where God was going to step in. Now, they had chances to repent, but remember, Pharaoh didn't really want to partner with God a whole lot. He's going to do his thing. In fact, he would prefer people worship him. This is the way that the Egyptian leadership generally worked. The, the people of, of Egypt had, had, had gotten, their sin had gotten to a certain point where God steps in, and we have the plagues and things like that. And remember, now, the people weren't going to, start this new country in Egypt, were they? Where's the country they're going to? All this time, the people are still in Canaan. But as the scriptures tell us, and you can look me, you can, you can check me on this, Genesis 15 is where we begin this discussion. Leviticus 18 said that the sin, not only of the Egyptians now, is going to be dealt with, because it had risen to a certain point, the people of Canaan's sin had now reached a certain point. Leviticus 18 tells us, you know what, their, their practices were so detestable that it's almost like the land was going to vomit them out. Like, they had gotten so bad that they thought it was a good idea that to, to worship false gods by throwing their kiddos into the fire and sacrificing kids. So the, the sin of the people, the point, had gotten to a certain level. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of years since Abraham first got that promise. And what does the scripture say? God is slow to anger. Many times, there could have been repentance. There could have been revival. There could have been, hey, let's go, let's partner with God. But no, they didn't want to partner with God. And their sin of Egypt and the sin of Canaan had risen to a level and God now intervened. 
And some of the intervention, the intervention of God can kind of sound a little scary. But realize, this has been hundreds and hundreds of years since he told Abraham, you're going to be here. There's people here. Their sin had risen to a certain level where God's like, I, I now need to deal with this. They're killing babies or whatever their practices were. Uh, so their, their sin had written, risen to a point where even the land was going to vomit this out. And let me just pause for a second. I think this is why, or at least one reason, why you see some of what you see in the book of Judges and the book of Joshua. Now, who's, who's read those two books? Those tend to get a lot of chatter on social media and the Reddits out there and all that just to prove how angry this Old Testament ogre God is. He just wants to smite whole peoples off the planet. And so God gets kind of this bad rap, and some people have, even theologians, have called the book, especially of like uh, judges, called that whole book the cycle of sin and God having to smite people. What's missing is how often there's actually something else going on. That God is actually, whenever someone would stand up like, some of the judges in that book would say, I'll partner with you, God. Gideon, Samson, Deborah. God does a great thing. There's a revival that happens. We look at the sin cycle, as it's so-called, and forget there's a redemption cycle every time. That God is just looking for a partner. If you just partner with me, things are going to go good. And look at the pattern that happened over and over again when someone would say, yeah, I'll, I'll follow the God way. I'll do that. I, sounds good. There's actually more of it, and you can, you can look this up on your own. I think there's more of a cycle of redemption, more than just a cycle of punishment and judgment. We miss this, right? And I think sometimes God gets a bad rap. He gets a bad rap as this angry judge, but God is slow to anger hundreds of years until the sin of the people had gotten to a point where God needed to step in. And thank God that he is the one in charge. Because if any one of us were sitting on the throne, we're going to make decisions that are very biased, very subjective, and not so nice, especially if you hadn't got eight hours of sleep. God is the right spot. He's in the right space to see what's going on. He's got that 30,000-foot view. And I think too often, even in the Bible, he gets this bad rap of being an angry God. But over and over again, when people say yes, he's like, great. His love never changes. I, got, I just don't want to miss that. We see, sometimes we, we read right to the judgment and we forget there's a redemption cycle all the time happening over and over and over again. And you know what? That cycle's probably played out in your life. It's probably played out in your life already. You go your own way, you think, I don't need God. Get out of the driver's seat. I can do this. I got this. We tell God, I got this all the time. And what happens? We go sideways almost every time. I don't, I don't know where you're at on the religious scale or faith scale or Jesus scale, but look, you, you, you decide to go it your own way. God's like, I love you, but that's a mistake. He's asking for partners, and it happened over and over again. And what we find over is that God is slow to anger. I think the whole idea of judgment gets sort of a bad rap. We make judgment calls all the time. And the thing is, we need jump judgment. Have you ever been accused of having bad judgment? Because <laughs> we're all making decisions all the time. You turn 18, your parents are like, you're an adult. You make your decisions. And boy, do we make decisions. And boy, do we do dumb decisions. Some of us are older. 
and we make dumb decisions. But we're making decisions all the time. Judgment's not the problem. We need good judgment. That's the thing we need, right? And I think each of us longs for justice. Think about this. Could be at school. You studied real hard. This person next to you cheated. What do you want? Justice. And rightly so. You've worked really hard. And someone else kind of is the boss's favorite. And they get the promotion. And you're war- way more qualified. And you've been working much harder. You, what do you feel? What do you feel? You, 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 want, you want some justice here. You get cut off. And that person got to work before you did. There's just a little bit of us that wants just Justice is not the problem. Justice is a good thing. Justice is a good thing. We need it. In fact, we need to trust that God will do the right thing because he's righteous when we can't see the whole picture, right? He's in a place where he can kind of see what's going on. You know, the scriptures say that he can see in your heart and he can see in my heart. We are a mixed bag of motivations all the time. Thank God that he can stand above that and say, no, okay, they're they're good. They're partnering with me. We only see a bit. In fact, I think 1 Corinthians, end of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the whole the love chapter part, you know, the end of that talks about how we, we don't see everything. We see kind of dimly sometimes. We only see bits and pieces. And so I'm very thankful that we have a God of justice because we long for justice. Look, you know this, even before you even knew what religion was. You're playing on the playing field. You're, 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 at, you're at school. And maybe you're playing Foursquare or something like that. Somebody cheats. What do you want? They cheated. Where does that come from? If we're just a product of whatever, and we have no kind of design, where does that longing for justice come from? Maybe it's because we're created in God's image. And we long for justice too. Justice is a good thing. Let's get to the scripture. I, I, the Psalms is where I'm going to be today. I just, it, was, it was a week where I, I love the Psalms. And the Psalms tell us lots of things. There's all kinds of songs in Psalms. Many of them are laments, by the way, because uh, sometimes things don't quite go right. But listen to Psalm 96. I love this. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Right? Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Righteousness, faithfulness. People were singing about the judgment of God. When was the last time you got in your car and you're singing, oh, thank the Lord that you're a judge? We don't often sing songs like that. But the thing is, I think we long for justice. We long for the the wrongs to be made right. Think of all the things in human history where people got away with crazy stuff without justice. We need justice. We need it when people have been abused and oppressed, taken advantage of. We long for justice, don't we? We long for God's good justice. And in fact, the people of old sang about it, sang songs about the goodness, justice of God, his righteousness, because he sits above and he can kind of see things that we don't see. We long for justice. And I'm thankful that he's the bringer of justice and not you and not me. Because we're not very, we're not very uh, 
objective. See, God's grace and mercy, righteousness, justice, they're all intertwined. They're intertwined. He loves us so much, but he's also, sometimes he needs to step in. Sometimes he says, okay, enough is enough. There's a sense of his justice and mercy all in the same breath. Listen to Psalm 85. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. His glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isn't that cool? Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. That's the kind of justice that we need, where his faithfulness, his mercy, love and faithfulness, what do they do? They meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Isn't that interesting poetic language? And the people would sing about this, sing about the justice because they knew, and anybody who has ever had a wrong done to them and it's never been fixed, we know and long for the justice of God. And it's a good thing. Listen to what Scripture says about God. And this is something that the, the people of Israel discovered all in their journey. Listen to, to Exodus chapter 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord, a God, now listen, merciful, gracious, what is it? Slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. I read all of that because I want to, I want to point out something. Sometimes sin does travel in generations. We know this from addiction. We know this from... And I'm not a scientific expert on how all that works, but there are things that patterns in life that you see your parents do that sometimes will transfer. People always focus on that last part. God will by no means clear the guilty, and he's going to visit judgment on the kids' kids and the kids' kids. That's what we hear, forgetting what we just read. God is what? Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for what? Thousands. We get hung up on the third generation statement and forget the thousands. This is the character of God. Slow to anger, merciful. But it doesn't mean that he ignores wrong. He doesn't ignore sin. He doesn't ignore people getting hurt and, and they're, they're longing. He's still just. But look at his, his mercy and his grace going thousands upon thousands. That's who God is. And look, justice we know is a good thing. We long for it. And I am thankful that the one bringing the justice is the one who can see. He can see into our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows what's going on. And here's what's even more crazy about the fact that justice is a good thing. That God steps in to provide justice for us. That's why we have this thing back here. That's why we remember this. Ultimately, he loves you so much. His vote was yes for you before you ever took a breath. And he wanted to take care of... When sin got in the way of this relationship, he pulled out all the stops. God put on flesh, 
walked among us and said, I'm taking care of this. And when he walked off, he came off that cross, rose from the dead. Jesus said, be part of my kingdom. Now partner with me, will you? I've been trying to do that the whole Bible. Partner with me. Jump into my kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom is here. And so what does the kingdom look like? Justice, mercy, grace. This is who God is. Not some angry judge who's coming down on us all the time. Look, our, our culture does a weird thing with sin, doesn't it? It's like our culture will either say, well, the sin isn't that bad. It's not adultery anymore. It's an affair, which sounds really fun. We, we take sin, we rename it. It's not so bad. So culture will either do that, right? We, we see that all the time. Or culture does something else. You make a mistake, you're bad. You're canceled. Two weird things with sin and judgment. Either we just downplay the, the issue, or you personally are bad. This is what culture does. God's vote is you're loved. That's a big deal right there. We, we want accountability. We know that human justice doesn't always cut it. We know that there have been times, and maybe in your life, where you didn't even get judged for something that you should, should pay for. You ever had that happen? You feel like you got like a you know, get-out-of-jail-free card. We know this happens, and I'm thankful that God is the one who's in charge of the justice part because only he's going to be unbiased. He's the only objective one able to make these decisions. We can't believe any longer in a judge dread God because he does not exist. And I really would hope that in your life, the people that you know, you can help them step away from these false views of who God is. That is not the God of Scripture. He's not up there just trying to hurt you every time you do something wrong. His vote is yes for you. And yes, he will bring justice. It's as part of his nature, but his justice, his righteousness, his grace, his mercy, they're all part of who he is. And he will deal with sin. Sometimes sin gets to a, per, a, a, a particular level and God has to do something about that. And I don't know when, when he makes that decision, but it's his decision. And we trust that he's good and he's going to make the best decision for us. And look, as I already mentioned, the final word on whether God's this angry judge or whatever is the cross. Because ultimately, he takes even the penalty for all sin, past, present, and future, and says, I love you, and I want you to partner with me now. Sin has been dealt with. This is not the God that we believe in. So we need to stop believing these false, immature views of who God is, and, and really help people see who God really is. A God who is what? Slow to anger, abounding in love, Visiting his, his righteousness and peace thousands upon thousands. And even singing about the justice of God. We can't, we can't believe in a judge dread God anymore. And here's what I want you to do with me. This is a big takeaway, right? As I wrap up. I want you to say this with me. I trust that God is good and just. I trust that God is good and just. One more time. I trust that God is good and just. They both can be true, folks. This is adulting. God is in charge. I want to leave you with one more psalm. I just, today's just the psalm day, okay? I don't know if anybody spend time in the psalms. 
I, I try to do that probably every day I read three or four, just some good poetic language. Sometimes it's kind of, you know, sometimes I'm having a rough day and I'll read a psalm and the psalmist is having a rough day too. And I'm like, okay, all right. I got some phrases to use with, with my relationship with God. But in Psalm 89, listen to this. And this is reminding us about who God really is. You have a mighty arm, God. Strong is your hand. High is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. All in the same sentence. What, what, what's in that same sentence? Righteousness and justice. Steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the real God. Not some angry judge God. Have I made my case? Let's pray. Father, you're, you're good and mighty. You're powerful. Thank, thankfully, you're the one in charge of justice. And Lord, we long for that. We know it's a good thing. Father, help us to realize in both the same way, you're good and you're just. And Lord, help us to take comfort in that. That, Father, you're doing your good work and you called us to partner with you. So, Lord, help us to be partners with you doing the good even here in our community. And may you get all the glory for this in Jesus' name. Amen.